Hey, rock stars, I'm JB, expert salesperson and master presenter. I'm the doctor, psychologist, and behavioral expert. This is the Entrepreneur Mastery Lab Podcast. We're high-performance coaches that help service-based professionals and entrepreneurs take their skills to the next level. 70% of entrepreneurs fail, which is why every week we have real talk with real entrepreneurs to help ensure you are not one of them. We're also the inventors of the Be Rich Mindset. Where we rise to mastery, inspire greatness, celebrate knowledge, and help others along the way. So join us in the lab. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to the lab. I'm JB. And I'm the doctor. If this is your first time joining us here in the EML, welcome and thanks for joining us. As always, we have real talk with real professionals and really excited that you're joining us. If you get a chance, give us a like, a subscribe, or follow. And if you're a returning listener or viewer, thank you for joining us once again. And if you're watching us on YouTube and wondering why my background looks so different and why I'm sitting next to this guy, keep wondering. <laughs> We're just going to keep that a secret? Maybe. But you had to bring it up? I have to point out the obvious. Maybe that intrigues people that are just listening to go watch us. Okay. We're going to go with that. I like it better when you're on the other side of the computer screen. Because I have the urge to like, smack you sometimes while we're sitting next to you. And <laughs> I'm fighting that urge really hard. I didn't know it was going to be so dangerous to be in a, <laughs> in a studio <laughs> together. Another reason to watch us on YouTube to see if I wind up smacking JB in the back of the head at some point. Uh, pay, pay attention. Stay tuned. You know, I, I kind of prefer this, though, because I feel like on the computer you're a little passive-aggressive with me where you just type out mean things and you put them on the banner on the bottom and scroll it. Now, now you might just beat me up. I should have brought a notepad so I can hold up all the things. <laughs> that note for next time. Actually, would have been really clever of you. I would have. You would have gotten an applause from me for that one. That would have been good. It was, uh, if anyone's watching Last of Us, yeah, Last of Us, where they had the uh, what was that thing called? The slate, the clear slate, where you write and then you just pull it up and it clears it off. And uh, one of the deaf person on uh, the show is using that to communicate. How are you guys not watching Last of Us? Who are you I, talking to? It's <laughs> the most popular show in the world right now. I think if anybody was even watching Last of Us, they still wouldn't know what you're talking about. They would absolutely <laughs> know what they're talking about. But please put down in the comments that you're watching Last of Us and you're not like these two, because I'm already scared for the rest of this episode. I, I never even heard of Last of Us, by the way. Oh my gosh, Last of Us is the best video game that I've ever played in my life. It is hands down incredible. HBO turned it into a show. I'm actually waiting to watch it because I kind of want to watch it all at once. I, 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 I want to binge. I'm like a binge guy, so I just want to see them all in like two nights. That's not a great way to enjoy it. <laughs> Why? Because it's a lot to take in. They're emotional. Yeah. You gotta feel. You gotta feel. That's your problem. You feel. It's, actually, it's a very emotional video game. The storyline and the storytelling is unbelievable. What is it about? Oh my gosh. I might have asked a big question. You're not allowed to talk yet. You're not technically here <laughs> until sorry. we introduce you. Well, I, I, I got pulled in. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I guess on you that just note, told two psychologists in a room that he's not. You're not really here <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yet, don't don't put words in my mouth. I said yeah. So then let's introduce him so he can come into the conversation, and then we, we can continue that aspect if if we want. But I think everyone that's listening probably knows what Last of Us is. I'm just in the room with two people that are not watching. Three people. Oh, boy. Okay. 
That was that was just a silent smack. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So allow me to introduce our guest. We're joined here today by Dr. David Troy, founder of Near Hiring. Thank you. Founder of Near Hiring. David, welcome to the EML. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you be, I appreciate you having me on. It's really great to be here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're pumped to have you, man. And so now, what were you asking about The Last of Us? <laughs> Briefly, what is it about? I've, I actually haven't even heard of it, so as embarrassing as that is. Well, since we've got an absolute not expert. not the only one. Me neither. Yeah. So we, we have an expert that is, that is well in the middle of it right now. What's it, what's it about, Bob? I can believe Victoria wouldn't know it because she's cool and young and hip, so she's probably out like, doing stuff. <laughs> On Sunday what, nights. What does that say about the two of you guys who have heard of it and know it well? That we're not young, cool, and hip anymore. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's, we, we're, that's we're reasonable. Aware. Yeah, we're that, well aware of this. <laughs> uh, it is an apt adaptation of a video game, as JV said, that was really popular. That's okay. zombie-esque, but they don't allow you to call them zombies. It's about infected. But it's really, really, really just like more of a coming-of-age story between two people and, and love and finding like connection. Not traditional, like, romantic love, but, mm -hmm. like, father-daughter kind of love. They, they connect. Gotcha. Is this a psychodynamic interpretation? No. This is uh, <laughs> their actually Just the summation. Um, it's really interesting, too, because uh, last episode got a lot of heat, and as did episode three, because there's a lot of LGBT uh, content, and people are being people. Interesting. Yeah. I don't remember that from the actual game but like very fatalistic very you know very yeah, violent definitely not as violent as the game there it's not as much about that part of it it's the show is not as violent as the yeah, game it's exactly. there but it's not it's not that it's not their focus interesting the, the game really takes ownership of that that survival world and you know just the psychology of it's it's about my survival Interesting. So okay. actually, as this episode is probably coming out, JB will probably start watching it because I believe it'll be the season finale in two weeks. So. Yeah, I, I've been waiting, truly. I, I've been ready for that. Really pumped when I saw that. But I've been very disappointed by adaptations in the past, so I'm a little, little hesitant. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Okay. We could talk about that logic if you want. <clears throat> we have two psychologists here that uh, you're waiting to watch it because you can't wait an extra day to watch another episode. So instead of watching any of the episodes, you're waiting even longer to watch all of them together. Is that a bad thing? I, there's a lot of people just like me out there that think the exact same way. That might be the scariest thing you've ever said. I, I don't want to take sides, but I actually would wait. I, we haven't watched, um, what is it, uh, the Game of Thrones prequel. We haven't watched that because I wanted to wait till it finished. Now that it finished, I haven't had the time, but I... Would have done the same see what happens so you don't live in the moment and then you don't yep. get to see it at all we're yeah. living in our moment because i still haven't seen house of dragons either and that's all you know that's just a subscription i'm just waiting to turn the subscription on and get both of them yeah i'm ready yeah all right okay so we didn't come here to talk about house of dragons or, help our <laughs> or the last of us i know our seo is going to go on fire this right. time. Yeah, all the keywords right. we're branding this as the last of us recap right. episode David, why don't you share with us a little bit about yourself and so our listeners and our viewers know who you are and what you're about. Okay. Um, I'll start with the short version and then we'll expand out if need be. So um, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. I have an MBA in industrial organizational psychology. I'm a professor full-time, and I founded a company near hiring. 
uh, and new hiring basically assesses corporations and then assesses candidates and tries to find the best match. That's the shortest version of it. Um, the longer version of it is kind of how I got there, and got to doing what I love and got to doing what I do, but we can kind of talk about that as the show goes on. So you love what you do? Oh, 100%. Love being a professor and I love the consulting work. It's really, it's two very, very different animals, but at the same time, they're both really kind of wonderful, um, which it took me a long time to get to both. Um, I started as a clinical psychologist first and realized that there was joy in that, but it wasn't the best fit. And, you know, committing your entire professional career to it, so much training, so much education and cost to something that I just don't love, it was really hard. Um, and, you know, it took me a while to find myself. I fell into teaching in a very weird kind of backwards way. Um, fell in love with it overnight. Um, didn't think I could do it professionally just because my credentials didn't really match what the typical professor does. I have a PsyD, which is a clinical degree. Most professors have a PhD, which is more research-oriented. So I thought, well, I'll never get there. Maybe I'll adjunct, you know, teach part-time, but find something else to do. And then I kind of bounced around a bit, was able to latch on, get a full-time job as a professor, but still needed more. And after a lot of searching and a lot of other steps that were involved, including going to an MBA program and not really being sure what I wanted to do and kind of dabbling in a few things in the MBA program, I kind of finished eventually. Uh, and then really kind of was able to put all the pieces together. Um, the ability to ask questions, the scientific background that I have, the ability to really kind of look below the surface, the ability to like I don't want to say read people, but the ability to connect and you know truly understand and maintain objectivity, right? Which is one of the hard things, right? Um, so having that scientific background and being able to meld all that together um, and kind of discover the hiring part of this and realize that this is something that you know companies need and it's something that I can really bring a lot to the table if I consult with them. So it was a good mix, but it took a long way to get there. It was a long and winding road. It was hard. It's hard to find this, but I'm very excited about it. So, still absorbing the fact that I'm, I'm, I feel like hemmed in, like cornered by by two psych psychologists here. I'm a little worried. It's really an intervention. <laughs> right, right. We forgot to tell you that <laughs> they locked the door behind <laughs> us. Too. It's bad. Right, it's right. bad, folks. It People may end up in here soon. <laughs> So, so explain near hiring a little bit better for us. Sure. What, what really is, what is it? What do you, what do you really do in there? Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll come into companies usually that are looking at hiring mid-level managers, high managers, people in the C-suite, but we also work with companies that are hiring kind of technicians, people who are you know, providing services directly to the clients, et cetera. And we'll come in and try to work with the organization to figure out what they're looking for for their next hire. So if it's an individual hire, um, we just hired, I say we, because I do have outside people that I bring in if need be. Um, so we just hired a CIO for a startup. And so I worked hand in hand with the CEO, figuring out what they want, what they're looking for in a CIO. And then I said, okay, that's fine. Go through your interview process, do everything you have to do. Bring me the last handful of candidates, the ones that you already have a good feeling about, that have already kind of gone through all of the different phases of hiring and are at the end of the process. And we will do a personality assessment on them, and we'll also do an assessment on the organization. 
looking for what they need. And then we'll have the candidates, the applicants, fill out the personality assessment, and then I kind of match it up to see what's a better fit uh, based on what the candidates bring to the table and what the company's looking for. And then we, we kind of go from there. We, we try to follow the employees as much as we can to see you know, how well that process worked, and then we will continue to adapt and evolve the process to make it better so that future hires are better. And you know, we stand behind our hires. If there's something going on, I'll always follow up, um, try to work with them one way or another to make sure it's a good fit. And if it's not a good fit, we figure out what went wrong and try to improve the process going forward. The other thing that we'll do is um, I'm working with the healthcare organization now and the hire technicians, let's say. I don't want to give too much information because of NDAs, but um, they're hiring a, a bunch of different technicians. So they haven't really figured out what makes a technician work well there. They just can't figure it out. They have people that are really good, people that might not be as good as what they would want, and they can't figure out what qualities are there. So we actually had done, and it ends up being sort of a research study in the process. So what we ended up doing was we looked at who was already there. We did some assessments on their overall you know, work ethic, work attitude, things like that based on their supervisors. And then also did some personality assessments and trying to figure out what matches and what doesn't. Are there particular personality predictors that would be indicative of a higher performer or a better performer? And it's interesting because one of the things that can happen, which has happened in this case, is the personality characteristics that the company is looking for have not translated to success in hiring. So what we're doing now, what I'm doing now, my role, is to figure out exactly what personality characteristics, based on people that they've already hired, are higher predictors of success at the organization. And then filtering those candidates out or in based on those personality characteristics going forward. So I want to make sure I caught that right. So you've, sure. got, you've got hiring managers, whether yep. it's at this firm or any firm, and they're making these hiring decisions, and they think they know what's going to be a good candidate, right? They, they know, hey, yes. these characteristics, these traits, this, this personality, you're going to be great or you're not going to be great, and they're just wrong a lot of the time? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot, but sometimes, for sure. I, you know, what's the saying, don't ask people what they want, look what they buy type thing? Um, but yeah, in this particular case uh, with this company, and I, I can't say always, but a good percentage of the time, they actually think that X, Y, and Z would be a good fit, think that X, Y, and Z would relate to productivity, engagement, longevity of the company, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. And because it's company specific, right? Every company, as you guys know for sure, has a culture. They have a mentality at the organization. There are dynamics there that are beyond anybody's control. And they're nuanced and complicated. And sometimes it takes an outside person to come in and say, hey, let's figure out what has worked and what hasn't worked. Let's look at what you're looking for and let's see if that matches the success. And if it doesn't match the success, let's figure out why and what would match that success. And it's an iterative process, right? So my goal is to keep improving the hiring process, streamline it as much as possible, and get the company who would be a good fit, get the company, the employee that would be a good fit. And that's really the, the wonderful part of it because there's no competition in that sense, wherein I could work with two companies that are in the exact same space, doing the exact same thing, and they could both benefit equally from the service without it being a competition because they have different cultures, they're looking for different things in their employees, and they could both find an excellent fit in two candidates that are very different. And so it's 
it's really a special process, for lack of a better term. But yeah, to go back to the original question, there are companies that are hiring based on certain things, and those things are not translating to success. So we have to identify what things are translating to a successful employee and steer their hiring towards those attributes, let's say. Do you find these companies bringing you on board after they've already kind of, I mean, bailed, right? right? It's, it's not until, uh-oh, this isn't working? Yeah, um, I'm the guy that ends up coming in after they realize what they're doing isn't working or after they've used another company to do the same thing that I'm doing and they realize that they didn't get what they wanted from that company. Um, so the company that I just hired the CIO for, um, they hired that I consulted with, um, they actually had used a company that did something similar and it was interesting because I was talking to the CIO and I have a lot of conversations, sorry, the CEO, I have a lot of conversations with them first to kind of get a sense of what they're looking for. And one of the first questions I asked was, well, what do you want? What are you looking for in a hire? What have you tried? What have you not tried? And their response was, nobody's ever asked me that before. And I said, wait, you, you used an organization that's going to help you hire people, but they haven't asked you what you want? They haven't asked you what you're looking for? They said, no. They said, they haven't asked me anything. They just started to do assessments, and you know, they were saying, well, and I don't want to name the particular assessment because I don't want to bash it. Um, but they were saying that, oh, yeah, they showed me this, and they had you know, these qualities and that qualities, and, you know, and that was it. And I, I don't know. I feel like every assessment, every hire needs to be tailored towards the organization. And I don't know how a company came in and didn't ask questions of the organization first and then started to reach out to the hires and, you know, do whatever they need to do that way. So it was, it, it was interesting for sure. Doc, have you ever been on a job interview or in a process where they've made you take a assessment to see if you'd be a good fit? Uh, many, many years ago, yeah. Um, those are so much fun because they're easy to manipulate if you want to. <laughs> if you know what the test is already about. So that's, I think that's the challenge is just going through them. Uh, that's like why we don't do IQ tests. We can't give them because we already know most of the answers and how they work, right? So yeah, we we do. We, we do. do. Oh, you do. Okay. <laughs> we do. I, yeah. I don't know. The proverbial we, you know, the super friends. Pontifical we, right? Well, one of the things that I like to do, and I'm glad you brought up the, you know, you can game the tests. One of the things that I do is part of the reason why I go into the company first and ask the company questions is to get a sense of what the company either needs or looking for or both. So it makes it much harder to game, right? So if I'm doing a personality assessment. There, there are general traits that tend to translate better at work, but there are times where these traits just are not a good fit. And if the candidate who's applying doesn't know what the company's looking for trait-wise, you can't game it because it's just, it's a wild guess. Um, so I won't tell the candidate who's applying what the company's looking for, obviously for obvious reasons. So I just say, be as honest as possible. And you know, it actually benefits both the applicant and the company because at the end of the day, the company is not hiring somebody who's not going to be a good fit, but the applicant is also not walking into a position where they're going to realize in a couple weeks, couple months, that they're not happy, that it's not a good fit, and then they need to either suffer in silence or jump ship and find a new job. So we really try to get the best fit for both sides, um, and it does benefit both. At least I strongly believe it benefits both sides, the applicant and the company. So. It's called a setup response. <laughs> Well done.
I walked right through that door. Yeah, you did. You did a nice job with that. Do you, do you think like uh, if if you're working with a company and they're they're doing an assessment on somebody, um, that person knows they're being assessed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you think there's a responsibility to give them the feedback from the assessment? We have to. You do? Uh, we have to. You know, we, we have to make ourselves available. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, and I always will. Um, and again, I'm very careful when we do an assessment. I'm never assessing for pathology. I'm never assessing for disorders. You know, that's never what I'm looking for. Um, I'm really looking for personality traits, and there are, you know, many different assessments with this. Um, that, that pull for this. So, but I'm never looking for anything that could be triggering in some way. Um, we, I only use the tests that are as objective and unbiased as possible. Um, but I always make myself available. If you have questions while you're taking the assessment, I'm here. Um, I'll even tell the client sometimes, you know, let me know when you're going to sit down and take it because um, it's all done remote. Uh, let me know when you're going to sit down and take it, and I'll make sure I'm by my phone. And if you need to make a call, if you have a question about one of the questions, you don't understand what it's pulling for or what's asking, I'm here. Or afterwards, if you want to talk about it, call me. And I make myself available all the time. I, I just think it's ethical practice, right? It's just it's one of those things where even as a consultant where the legal limits are, are a lot looser than if I was practicing as a clinical psychologist in that case, um, I still think it's ethical to make myself available, and I don't want to leave anybody upset or in distress in any way. Um, so I'm always available for feedback when it comes to that. Come back to me years later. I'm still here. So. You mentioned earlier uh, other companies do things like this. So it's been, it's been around for a while, uh, but hiring is still a kind of crapshoot, it feels like, for most, for most companies and business owners. 100%. Why? It's, it's a really, really good question. Um, a lot, some of the reason is the way that they go about hiring, right? So what does a typical company look for when they hire somebody? References, right? Well, how objective are references? They're going to be filtered. You're going to pick your, your, your best friends, the one employer who really loved you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So references, you know, although you can glean some stuff from references, sometimes you're, you're reading things and you're like, oh, okay, that might be a red flag, but said in a very gentle way. For the most part, references are not a great indicator of the person's true identity. Um, you can get somebody who's very polished in an interview, and just because they have good interviewing skills, just because they're engaging, um, you know, it, it ends up you know, skewing your perception of their ability and their potential. And at the end of the day, they're just, they might look better in person than they actually are in real life. So that can be problematic. Um, you know, they do competency tests and things like that for certain organizations and in certain positions. But just because you can do it, which I can get into a whole story about um, if you want to hear it, if you have the time. Uh, but just because you can do the job doesn't mean that you're going to be committed to doing the job, if that makes sense. Um, and sometimes people do the job really well or already kind of burned out and just have no interest in actually doing it, but it looks like they can do it on paper. Um, but just the way that we go about hiring, um, the way that companies go about hiring is it's a little bit less scientific than I think it could be. Um, and the other part of it is is that you know when we do assessments, we're really trying to get below the surface. We're really trying to get beyond what somebody's going to answer in an interview. We're really trying to get beyond what a CV says uh, and what references say. Um, 
but if you're just talking to people and asking them questions, a very adept interviewer could pull some of this out. But I do believe that these empirically valid assessments that have been tested again and again can go much, much deeper and can get a lot more information. Um, and then the other part of it is bringing an outsider in helps. You know, we all have our own biases. We all have our own thoughts about what we think we need. And there's a history there. You know, if you've been hiring consistently and it hasn't been working, either you're just burned out on the process or frustrated, or you're looking to hire somebody completely opposite just to change things up, and that might not be the most effective approach either. Bringing somebody in with fresh eyes, bringing somebody in with experience in this process can be really helpful. So long way around to the short answer of the way that companies typically hire might be a little bit outdated. That was such a gentle way to admonish <laughs> these companies, I feel like. Yell at them, just do it. No, I, I can't. Look, look, I mean, some companies do a wonderful job. Some companies do a wonderful job. I mean, look at what Apple's done with Tim Cook. I mean, I would have bet the farm that once Steve Jobs passed away that Apple was finished. I, I really would have, and I almost wrote an article predicting that they were going to be finished. Thank and God I was so wrong. It. Yeah, I mean, it would have been really embarrassing. But they found them. I mean, the company has just grown consistently. Some companies do a great job, you know, and, and the proof is kind of in the pudding. Google does a great job. They're, you know, a company that really does hire beyond just resume and interviews and things like that, right? So um, they do a great job. And some companies have struggled. So, um, you know, finding, you know, those companies that are in need and, and providing whatever service I can that's the most beneficial uh, is what I like to do. So. Well, I, I like what you said about outside perspective. You know, somebody objective. You, I, it almost doesn't matter what you're doing. A lot of times when you're really close to something, it, you're just too close to be able to peel yourself back and pull back and, and get perspective. And so to have somebody come into your point with fresh eyes, it's like it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, it could just be about any decision you're making. It really doesn't have anything to do with, with hiring, for example. It, it's truly hey, if I'm really into something and I'm in the weeds in it, it's hard to pull back. 100%. And, you know, the other part of it is is that when you're within a company, you're very limited with things that you can say and things that you can do, right? Because you're answering to somebody. Even the CEO is answering to the board. Um, you know, CIO, COO, anybody, they're answering to somebody. And at the end of the day, the only skin that I have in the game is doing the best job that I can for that company to hire that individual, which means I can come in and say things that they might be unable to say. I can observe things or comment on things that they might be uncomfortable observing or commenting on. And I can come in and say, listen, and this is one of the conversations that I had to have with the company that we're working with now that's hiring the technicians. I, I know you think you know what you want, but what you're asking for is not translating to good results, good outcomes. And it's, it's a tough conversation to have. I have to rely on all of my clinical skills to have this conversation. Um, but it's, it's an important one to have. And it's actually easier for me to have because I'm not telling my boss that I have to live with every day that you're not making good decisions. You know, the hiring manager there might have to tell their boss that, but then guess what? They have to you know, wake up the next day and go see them face to face and go to work with them. I don't have to do that. I can come in and say, you know, do you want to be really honest? Well, here's the deal. This is not working. 
and let's talk about why it's not working and what you think you want isn't what you actually need. And so I have that freedom to do that, which is, um, it's a big responsibility, which you know I take very seriously, but it's also a nice place to be and a nice place to operate from. Cost of turnover in business is huge. Extraordinary. I, I, I mean, they, they take a guess because it's such a big number, but they talk about over a trillion dollars a year in, mm -hmm. in cost of turnover, which is something that we talk about when it just comes to employee retention. And that's a huge part about what we talk about. Hey, you don't want anything to do with this cost. Uh, what kind of savings do you think what you do can bring to a business? Uh, can you quantify that at all? Oh, gosh. That's a really good question. So I was trying to get numbers on this. I mean, months and months of research to get data on this. Uh, I'm going to tell a story, um, and then I'll get back to, to the short answer. So there was a documentary on Walmart years ago, and Walmart was... Uh, was kind of inside or behind the scenes with Walmart. It was an interesting documentary. But they were doing research. And Walmart, has they take a lot of data on everybody, right, every aspect of their business. And if I remember the number right, they were saying that the cost to the company, if one customer gets to the register and gets annoyed, pushes their cart away and says, I'm never shopping here again, their best estimate, which they said was a, a low-ball estimate, was 250k. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two hundred fifty grand for one customer. One customer. And at Walmart. At Walmart. We're talking the same Walmart that I'm thinking of. The blue, yellow. Yep. That Walmart. Yep. Two hundred fifty thousand per person. Two hundred fifty thousand. If I'm remembering the documentary right, but I'm pretty sure I am. Now, and again, I don't know what metrics went into there, but my business background says probably you know, um, opportunity cost, probably word of mouth marketing, probably actual cash out of pocket, you know, all the things that go into a customer, right? Um, money going to a competitor, etc. Right? There's a lot that goes into this. It's the same type of you know situation when you're talking about an employee in an organization. The minimum, minimum, minimum number would be at least two months' salary of that employee to hire somebody. That, and that's minimum. And most estimates are usually about a year's salary, and that's just hard numbers. You're not talking about you know what it costs to what you're losing in a company if you don't have that employee working, if you have a gap that needs to be filled. You're not talking about, um, you know, the disengagement that can happen for other employees picking up that slack. I, I mean, you're not talking about the, the time allocation of the hiring people that are involved to put their efforts towards hiring somebody else. I mean, there's so much cost there. So when you say minimum two months salary of that employee, that's probably a grain of sand in one of those 25 pound bags of sand that you're losing just when you're bringing on a new person. I mean, it, it's extraordinary, it really is. And if you're at a smaller company where you have fewer employees, you know, one employee loss is a huge percentage of your workforce. I mean, especially if you're a startup with 20 people, whatever it is, it's 5% of your workforce, it's gone. So, you know, in, in a flash, it, it, it's a big deal. Um, so. Yeah, how do you monetize it? People are still trying to figure out how to monetize it. But again, the smallest number is two months' salary for that employee. And now you get into, you know, C-suite hires. I mean, what are we talking about here? Two months, what's a C-suite going to make? Uh, even in a mid-level startup, they're talking about two, 300000 a year, plus bonuses, which probably end up getting closer to $400,000 a year. So you divide that by 10, 40,000, 80 grand minimum. 
give or take, and it's probably closer to the entire year's salary. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And if you can keep somebody at a company, hire somebody at the company that's going to stay for even another year or two, but, it's going to, but they're going to stay productive for even another year or two, the cost savings is tremendous. It really is. And obviously, we'd like somebody to be invested and stay longer than that. Nobody stays at a company forever, by the way. And I know you guys know this for sure, but I think it's worth saying out loud. No employee is permanent. Not the founder of a company, not the CEO of a company. Everybody's time in a company is limited, right? So one of my goals is get the best person in there who's going to stay engaged for the appropriate amount of time. And then they can go, you find the next person. And I'm not saying they're disposable. I'm saying that everybody's time at a company runs their course. Right? The company changes and adapts over time, particularly startups. Right? What the startup is today is not what the startup is going to be in six months or a year. And the person that filled that position now might not be the person that the company needs going forward. So it's also something to be mindful of. Um, so yeah, the goal is to get somebody in there that's going to do a great job in that role, maintain their level of engagement, and be there as long as they need to be and as long as they want to be, and then fill the role again if you need to. So. I'm going to butt in. So actually, a little bit related, a little bit not related. Um, I saw something last week, and it said that the cost, it costs hospitals 250000 to $1 million to replace one physician yep. who quits for burnout, lack of compensation, better opportunity, etc. Yep. Why hospitals rather spend this money on recruitment rather than making their own physicians happy is beyond themselves. Lots of young physicians are quitting because of burnout. You know, people are letting go of APPs, with our, which are advanced practice, um, advanced practice providers, so your NPs, your PAs, who are assisting these physicians, they're letting go of them thinking, oh, why are we going to spend the money to keep this person on payroll and, you know, let's just have the physicians do it themselves. The physicians obviously then have higher burnout rates without that assistance and just the cost to replace them is insane. Like, people are burning, especially in the medical field, physicians are burning out at an all-time high and the cost to replace them is at an all-time high, so it's just like a lose-lose in the medical field. A hundred percent. And this is actually where, you know, your guys' expertise come in quite a bit, you know, with coaching and with organizational culture and things like that, right? So, you know, there are two sides to this coin, right? Bringing in the right people, bringing in people that are going to be committed to the organization, that are going to be committed to the cause and things like that, but then also creating an environment where these people can thrive, right? Um, I think it's Daniel Pink's uh, thing, Autonomy, Mastery, Purpose. Right, um, and sometimes the organization itself is not conducive to that, so that's where you guys' expertise are. I, I'm at the front end, I'm at the hiring end, um, but you know, you guys obviously have tremendous value on the other side of it. Where, you know, even if you're bringing in the right people, if the organization is, and and this is a dramatic word to say, and I don't like to say this, but if the organization is toxic, for lack of a better term, I don't care who you bring in there, they're not going to survive. So, you know, there, there are two sides to this coin. I'm the front side, and you guys are the back side, but the other side. Well, I think that's really well said because, Victoria, probably the, the point that you're making on the medical side, uh, you know, my whole family's in medicine. Everybody's in medicine in my family. Uh, it's, it's a toxic culture a lot it of times in, in the medical field. It's just a nasty, nasty culture. And, Doc, I know you've experienced that on the hospitality and on the retail side, too. It can be a really nasty culture. Well, 
when you were talking about those companies earlier, you're mentioning Apple and Google. You're mentioning companies that have culture. Yep. Right? They've created a culture around them. Their concerns about how their employees, even if it is just at the face value, let's give them some food, let's give them some games. Sure. It does make a difference, right? Of mm -hmm. and, and as Victoria's talking about, a lot of the hospitals, the people that are making those budgets don't work in the hospital. Mm -hmm. They never set, inside, set a foot inside the hospital unless they're doing an audit, right? So they don't really care as much about what they're doing. They're just looking at bottom line. But they still don't connect the dots the proper way. And I think this is why it's so important. There is more multiple sides on how this kind of connects. And like you were saying, Dr. David, uh, you got to hire the right people, then you got to train them properly to make sure that they fit in and have the idea of what's going on there. And then you have to just make sure that everyone stays happy and on board and have a place to you know, figure out if there's something that's not going on right, if there's any kind of disgruntledness. How do you prevent that? How do you address it? And a lot of companies don't do that either, and that's where you see that, that effect. When I was, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was just going to say real quick, I know you said that you do follow up with the people that you do bring on to these companies. So if you do see through that person, hey, I hired this person, I thought I'd be a good fit, and now you see it's actually just the work environment that's completely toxic. Do you go and have a role in that as well, or do you kind of just pass that on to them? So I'll make referrals. Uh, I have a few coaches. Who would you refer that to? Um, oh, God, let me think. This is called the setup also. <laughs> I don't know. Do you guys know anybody who does organizational culture work? I'm trying to. This think. is like one of those push-pull situations <laughs> where the door says pull and he keeps pushing. <laughs> right. I've heard of these people right. called JB and the Madman. Right. <laughs> yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll again, I'll follow up to see if there's something on my end that I can do. Um, sometimes it's a misunderstanding. Sometimes there's a learning curve there with the employee. We got to figure out really what's going on. Um, but if it is a culture issue, you know, there are obviously people in, in my network that I have that I can refer to. If it's a coaching issue, there are people that, you know, in, in my network, um, these two gentlemen included, that I'll certainly uh, well, you're allowed to say refer it's to. Podcast. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to hit around this one. Right, right. Um, JB and the doctor. Uh, we will, um, you know, I'll refer to that way. Um, if it's a toxic culture, Sometimes there are hard conversations that have to be had um, where we say, and the funny thing is, there's rarely a situation that I've encountered where the corporation doesn't realize that there's something wrong. Um, and, you know, and I have that conversation. You know, we can bring in people again and again and again where, who might be great and who might potentially be a wonderful asset to your organization. But if the organization itself is really just, you know, eroding away their engagement, eroding away their conscientiousness, the organization's going to win if that doesn't change. They just do. Um, what's the, what was the saying? There was a, there was a show called the Woodwrights Workshop, and it was a guy who used primitive tools um, to make furniture, things like that. And he's like, oh, yeah, my papa used to tell me I had this great axe. It had nine heads, 11 handles, still going strong. And, you know, you think about it in a certain way, like, you can keep putting the cogs into an existing system, and you'll identify it as the same thing, but if you don't change the system enough, you know, through both hiring, through insight building, and I won't step too much on your guys' toes because you know more about this than I do, but whatever you need to do to change the culture, it doesn't matter who you bring in. It's going to be, you're going to get the same result at the end of the day. Um, so...
All right, so Dr. Dave, I'm trying to protect you here. But you've watched Primal Workshop. Oh my God. Not Last of Us. Okay, so this is one I actually Wait, agree with the doc on this one. I, I don't know where that came Pri from. Primal Workshop? No, Woodwright's Workshop. Uh, I was a kid. It's not making it any better. Well, well, you have to, you have to, I have to contextualize this. So, this show was on when I was very young, and I'm the youngest in my family, and I grew up in a time where I don't choose what's on television. So when I say I watched it, I didn't say I chose it. I just watched it. You know, my dad picked first. Then I think my brother picked next what we watched. And I don't think I ever got to choose unless everybody was sleeping or out of the house. So it was on. And instead of just looking at the wall, I watched the show. Mm -hmm. uh, but I had very little choice or say in what we watched. So Plausible story. It's all right. We'll let you go with it. <laughs> so. I, uh... I, so, something insightful that, that I picked up that, that you just mentioned that I think is, is missed a lot of times is the people within an organization change, right? And their fit within that organization changes. Uh, and as business leaders, as CEOs, I think it's probably important for us to remember that we're not hiring forever. Mm -hmm. We're hiring for a purpose, and that purpose also has a window of time. It's also important for us to remember that our culture isn't static either, right? We, we could have a great culture today and that can also change overnight. And, and it doesn't take a lot to change. And it, yeah. especially when you're adding people, culture yep. can change really quickly depending on the size of the company. So it just, just very insightful for me to think about it from those terms. It's, hey, everything's kind of with the snapshot we're taking today. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow it could be a totally different story. 100%, 100%. Um, and, you know, it's an important thing for companies to realize. And, and people don't like to have this conversation because I realize how I sound when I say it, you know, that you're bringing somebody in for a particular period of time. It almost sounds like I'm commoditizing. I think that's how you conjugate it. Um, commoditizing, you know, humans. And I don't ever want to do that, you know, because there are opportunities that might be better for that person who's at that organization for a certain period of time and then moves on, right? It just might be that, hey, your skill set may not be needed for the organization now, but it might be a better fit for a job that is a better fit for you, right? Again, when I was young, um, it was you got a job, you're at that company forever, you retire and you move on. That was it. Nowadays, people not only have multiple jobs, they have multiple career paths. So many people will have a career path early on when they you know, get out of school and start working and they'll work there until you know a certain age and then they'll decide to shift or pivot and do something totally different, which sort of happened in my case. I mean, I'm doing something related. It's still psychology. It's still human behavior. When I started out in college, I started as a psychology major, took intro to psychology, hated every second of it. I, not the professor, not the school, I just, the course itself, it wasn't a great fit. Psychology at the time I thought wasn't a great fit. I pivoted. I pivoted to acting. I pivoted to English. I then, you know, had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I worked every job possible. I worked in, in clothing factories, unpacking and packaging clothing. Um, I worked doing, uh, I was a night janitor at one point at a school. 
Um, can, can, can I stop you and just let all, <laughs> yeah. any of our viewers or listeners that are listening and young, you can be an English major and you don't have to go work in a clothing factory as a <laughs> night janitor, I promise you, speaking as a former English major, I promise. Right. No, I did go all on. this by choice, um, for sure. And uh, yeah, it was, I, I bounced around a lot. I lost my, I totally lost my train of thought. Um, anyway, so, you know, I just got it back. Um, but, you know, I, I bounced around a lot and, you know, I've sort of taken a second career path, right? From the clinical work to the teaching, and I don't want to leave the teaching, I really absolutely love it, but from the clinical work to the consulting side of it, working with businesses, right? My clinical work was in outpatient therapy. Um, I did that for a while. And uh, I worked in the psychiatric emergency room for a while, which was very interesting, very enjoyable but not something I think anybody should do, at least in my case, was a good fit for me to do for the next you know, 20, 30 years. Um, so then pivoting to the, to the business side of it. Uh, and a lot of people do that. So you know, it's really okay if somebody's in an organization and their role might not be the role that they started off at or they might not have the needs that they started off at. And you can move to another company, do something different, you know, pivot, change, whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with that. There really isn't, and it's not necessarily negative about the employee, and it's not negative about the organization either, right? These things are evolving all the time, and, you know, the goodness of fit is really important across the board, so. Well, it's always fun to have another one of our super friends, and if you guys are new to the podcast, anytime we have another doctor I call part of the super friends, we leave JB out of this one. He gets very sad every time. As you can see, also his parents, as you referenced earlier, might be a little disappointed because they were all in the medical field and he was an English major. So, <laughs> I, I did finish as an English major, by the way. Um, I did. I, so I, there's I, still hope for you to become one of the super <laughs> friends. <laughs> I, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, how you want to let our listeners know how they would contact you or find you if they want to bring you in to do all these wonderful things. Oh, 100%. Um, well, the website is nearhiring.com uh, and the email address is nearhiring at gmail.com. Um, so... So super easy. Uh, so it's near, as in close, N-E-A-R, hiring, spelled as it is, um, at gmail.com. And on the website has my phone number, it has my email address, and there's even a, a white paper that I wrote on hiring and kind of the importance of hiring. Costs are mentioned in there and everything else. So I, I think it's interesting. I do blog very rarely, but there are a few blogs on the website um, that people can take a look at if they're interested. So. It's okay. Of course, all the information will be in the show notes to make it easy for you in case you're driving around or just enthralled watching us and don't want to write it right now. Yeah, don't look at the show notes while you're driving around, though. Please. No. They'll be there when you stop. David, thanks for coming in, man. Pleasure to have you here on the show. Really excited to hear about this. A a huge amount of opportunity out there uh, to incorporate this this type of, let's just call it better hiring. Yeah, we, we say um, don't hire better. Don't, don't hire faster, hire better. Uh, not that I slow anybody down with hiring. I try to work fairly quickly, but um, there's a whole push in the industry for rapid hiring, and I, I tend to try to steer companies away from that. So rapid hiring usually means rapid firing. firing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. On the same page with you, and that's an English major connection right there. <laughs> David. <laughs> Thanks again. Real pleasure. Appreciate you joining us in the lab. Same here. It was a pleasure being here. I really appreciate it. And be happy to come on anytime you guys will have me. This is wonderful.
Well, Doc, I enjoyed having David on it. You know, it's a unique take when we talk about hiring, culture, retention, and, and I highlighted this towards the end, just really, to me, insightful to remember, it's a hire that is not gonna be forever. And I know we like to think about things from a forever perspective, but businesses change, cultures change, needs change, and a, somebody's skill set that could be a great fit today might not be a great fit tomorrow, and that that's okay. And it might make us better hirers to keep that in mind. Yeah, I mean, definitely things don't last forever. I'm already contemplating which initials work in front of the doctor also. So inevitably when I have to replace the JV aspect, I know which one, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Victoria and the doctor, how does that sound? I think you go with that one. JV is not replaceable. Thank you. <laughs> she's, she's my new favorite. <laughs> I also think there's a couple of things in there that, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to say sometimes. And I know Dr. David is being cautious on us not people being commodities. And that's true. You have to look at the people, but there is a business aspect to it also. And we do have to look at sometimes people are commodities in the sense of there's a cost involved. There is things that are best for the business. And if we were just hiring strictly because we like someone and they don't have a great job, then they're not going to be a good fit either. So I think it is more than one thing can be true in one of these senses of we have to make sure that they're a great fit and they fit into the concept that they're also really good at the job. And pulling from, like Victoria mentioned about the hospitals that are only looking at the numbers, and as David's been talking about, like only looking at the thing, and I know as he's doing this, he does this as well, um, is putting those things together and there's probably a better balance there than we see that should be happening. And I know that's something that he was just being cautious of making that look like that, but I know that's something that is uh, definitely taken into consideration. Well, I appreciate it, right? It's always, it's always easy to say something definitive and this is the way it is and it's black and white and that, that's a great sound bite when you're trying to share something on social media, but most of the time in reality, you have to qualify because not everything holds true. And general advice is usually bad advice. Well, and I get it too, as a fellow psychologist, right? We we err on the side of caution on most things that we say. Um, so we definitely want to do that. But that also brings up my other point of why it's also great to have a psychologist in these positions, right? He was talking about being able to see things and having that clinical experience and how to have those conversations, those tough conversations. We're used to those. Um, we have the awareness and we have the ability. So having a psychologist on your team. This is a little self-promotion also, but it is very valuable. And I think as we're seeing this more and more in business, looking at those companies that are either employing psychologists or led by psychologists have a lot of value that you don't see in a lot of other places. Does anybody else feel like he's just trying to sell himself so I keep him around? Because it kind of felt that way to me. Self-preservation. It's always what you got to do. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening. That's the problem when you only did the doctor part, right? Like, is that you, that you can just replace me with another doctor? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, always thinking ahead. Wait, Victoria's here. Future? Right. That's, that's right, which we've been talking about that. All right. If you're still with us, thank you so much for joining us here in the lab. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, or follow. We appreciate you. All the details from today's show will be in the show notes. You can go and find that. And uh, did I miss anything, Doc? Of course, we can be found at JB and the Doctor on all social media or at jbandthedoctor.com on our website. I got your back, don't worry. Thank you. Now you can close up. Oh, that, that was it. Oh, okay. That's all you got. All right, I'm JB, and I'm out.
Peace out, yo.